Gospel of John has 21 chapters. The middle chapter is chapter 11. It is not by chance that the middle chapter of John's Gospel has the resurrection of Lazarus. This is a transitional chapter. Uh, The first 10 chapters of John have been presenting who Christ is. Uh, What credentials does he bring to the table for what it is that he's going to do for us? And in John chapters 1 through 10, that is explored through a series of events from Jesus' life. They are not necessarily in chronological order. They're in thematic order to drive home the point that Jesus is credentialed to do what he is here to do. Beginning in chapter 12, we will follow through the final few days of Christ's life. Essentially, his anointing at Bethany is just prior to his week of passion. And so all of the events from John chapter 12 on through the end of the chapter, uh, end of the book, are from the last few days of Christ's life before his death on the cross and some uh, significant events that happened after his resurrection. And again, they are there to declare not his credentials, but they are there to declare his accomplishments, what he accomplished for us on that cross. And so John's gospel is hinged on chapter 11. And it is interesting to me to note that chapter 11 is filled with the notion of death. One of his friends, Lazarus, has died. In fact, the text wants to make it very clear to us that Lazarus is no ordinary person, although he is first described as ordinary in verse 1. There was a certain man. Just one guy. But then it states, not once, not twice, but three times, that this Lazarus is someone that Jesus loved. He loved him. The idea is clear. There is a relationship between Christ and Lazarus. And that relationship, is it able to overcome death? That's a real question. Because uh, we stood out here at the crosses today at sunrise and we began to rehearse all the people that we know that are no longer here in this world that have gone on to another place. They've gone on to glory. And they're celebrating in the presence of Jesus Christ today, the resurrection of Christ in a different place from us. And uh, friend, if you've not cried at a friend's funeral... You don't know what tears are. 
There, there are those tears of, of, of loss and despair and, and hopelessness that, uh, that are part of, of a funeral. I, I sometimes am overcome by uh, the way some people try to overcome this. They'll say, we're not having a funeral today. We're going to have a celebration of life. There'll be no tears. I'm like thinking, what world do you live in that people die and we don't cry? Uh, that, that's ridiculous. Uh, tears are part of life. The Bible says it this way. We sorrow not as those who have no hope. It doesn't say we sorrow not. It just says we have a different kind of sorrow. And the thing that I've discovered about this different kind of sorrow we have is that it is not a lesser sorrow. I think it's almost in some sense a greater sorrow. Though it's a sorrow that is conditioned by the reality of the resurrection of Christ, it isn't less of a sorrow. Uh, the, the reality is uh, the dearest, dearest people we know and love, the deepest, deepest love that we can have are people that are truly good in their character because of their relationship with Christ. And you just miss those kinds of people more, don't you? There was a certain man sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, Martha, and her sister. Uh, Excuse me, the town of Mary and her sister, Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord's feet with fragrant oil. Now, what's significant about that is that anointing isn't actually described until chapter 12. In other words, the text is wanting us to see this this event in the significance of not just this day, but in all of the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, in in all of their relationship. See, these three siblings are, are, are... being highlighted here in this story. It's interesting, there's three stories about uh, Mary, uh, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, There's the story of the anointing that's in chapter 12 of John. There's the story of of Jesus meeting at their home and and, and Martha is working, working, working and, and Mary is lazy, from Martha's perspective, at the feet of Christ and, and Martha comes in and says, don't you care what I'm doing? calls into question the care of Christ for her because Mary isn't helping her in the kitchen. And then there's this story of the raising of Lazarus. There's three stories about this family. One, Lazarus is highlighted. Another one, Martha is highlighted. And the third one, Mary is highlighted. It's interesting that all three of these uh, family members have a story that highlights their life. And we have these three uh, significant people. We're to see these events in the whole of this family's life. And the sister sent to ask him, saying, Lord, behold, the one you love is sick. Notice Christ. Uh, He heard this. And he said, this sickness is not unto death. Wow. Are you back in the sound room? 
you can help me out. Okay? His sickness is not unto death. My iPad died. <laughs> its sickness is unto death. <laughs> we'll do this a different way. And we see a couple of events take place. First of all, Jesus says, His sickness isn't unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may, not be, may be glorified. This is done three times in John's Gospel. All three times it's with a significant event regarding someone that has a, 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 a problem that is of such a great nature, nature that the disciples question, why is it? that this person is in this situation. Here, I'm going to do something. We're going to just shut them off because I'm going to be totally distracted trying to get your help to do this. It's hard to read your own mind sometimes, isn't it? I'm going to pray. Father, take away my... uh, clumsiness, so that these people might hear God's word. Amen. First thing we notice about Christ is instead of talking about this death, he talks about it in a whole different way. He talks about it as death, but he he addresses it to the disciples as sleep. They heard that he was sick. They stayed two more days in verse 6. And then now he says, let us go to Judea to see him. And one of the disciples say, Rabbi, they've sought to stone you there, Thomas brings up. And and we're going to go there? And Jesus says, there's 12 hours in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light. But we walk in the night, he stumbles because of the light. These things he said, And then he adds, our friend Lazarus is sleeping. Jesus is talking about Lazarus' death, and he's using a term of of sleep. In other words, Jesus, uh, because of the resurrection, looks at death from a different lens. And he looks at it not as being an end, but he looks at it as being a, a pause. And it's a pause that Jesus recognizes is not much different than sleep. The disciples don't get it. They, they look at him and they say, well, if he's sleeping, maybe he's going to get better. They're looking at sleep as being the opportunity of recovery. And so finally, Jesus has to address him very, very bluntly. He's dead. And he adds, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Now, once he goes there, there's going to be three different times people are going to say, Lord, if you'd have been here, you could have done something. Lord, if you could have been there, you could have done something. Lord, why, why didn't you do something? But Jesus says, I'm glad that I wasn't there. There's a reason why, and it's abundantly obvious from what we've already been told, though we might not have seen it. Earlier, it says, and they waited two more days. 
now they begin the trip. It's about a 40-mile trip, so it'd be about a two-day trip to arrive there. And so now they've taken two days to arrive at this location, and when they arrive there, it, it tells us that uh, Martha finds out that they're coming, and she uh, goes to see him. And she actually uh, uh, meets him before he arrives at the home because she wants to have a personal interview with him. And so she says, Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Notice her faith. It's very important to notice. She didn't say, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother might not have died. She says instead, if you wouldn't have been here, my brother would not have died. She clearly believes that Christ has the power to keep one living. But then she adds, Nevertheless, God's will be done. God can give to you all things. Jesus asks a question. Your brother will rise again. Martha thinks of this in the total landscape of all ecclesiastical and eschatological history. Well, yes, finally in the end, but what about right now? And so she says, I know he will at the resurrection at the last day, but now's when I'm hurting. To this, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. There are seven times in the uh, book of John that Jesus uses this little phrase, I am. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the water. He says a number of different things through John, seven different ones. This is one of the seven. This one and the one in John 14 are the only ones that have multiples to them. In John 14, Jesus says, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here, Jesus says not uh, not three things, not one thing, but two things. He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He takes resurrection away from being an event and he makes resurrection into a person. And he makes himself the person of the resurrection. In other words, he introduces that he is the life force behind all life and that he is the giver of all life and that all resurrection comes through him. I am the resurrection the life. Then he asks Martha to believe in me. Though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This about him? Martha's answer is amazing. She says, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, if you remember, there was a story told of a Philippian jailer then the Philippian jailer uh, had his sword drawn, ready to kill himself, and he, and he says to, uh, he says to uh, uh, Paul and Silas, say to him, what are you going to do? Don't kill yourself. And the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the Philippian jailer says, uh, excuse me, and Paul says to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus 
Christ, right? Look back at Martha's words again. Martha says, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. That's the third one, Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God, he's Lord. Who has come into the world, that's Jesus. Here's the three key truths we have to believe about Christ to have saving faith. We have to believe that God, Son, is who Jesus is. In other words, God, Son, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus came to earth. He came to earth as a real human being. You have to believe he's God. You have to believe that he's a real human being that walked on this earth. And then you have to believe that he did something for us. He was the Savior. He was the Christ that went to the cross. Notice how Martha affirms the very same three things that were told in John 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Martha affirms it. Yes, Lord, I believe. You're the Christ. You're the Lord. And you're the Jesus that came into the world in real human flesh. Yes, you're him. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And when Martha affirms it with these words, Jesus in no way corrects her statement. He accepts it for what it is. Now we're going to skip down. You move down to verse 38. And Jesus, it says, he groans within himself, and he came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and there was a stone that laid against it. And Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, there'll be a stink. It's been four days. Jesus delayed how many days? Two days. They traveled how many? Two days. The moment that Jesus heard the word about Lazarus, Lazarus was already gone. And so when Jesus says, I'm glad that I wasn't there, Jesus says, I didn't hear this until after Lazarus was dead, and now that he's dead, by the time we get there, it'll be four days, Will there be absolutely no doubt as to the fact that I raised him from the dead, or if I would have been there, I would have raised him from the dead, and some people say, oh no, Lazarus is just unconscious. Oh no, Lazarus wasn't really completely dead. Lazarus was just really, really sick, and we didn't realize it, and, and it would have brought doubt to the miracle. Does it take just as much of a miracle to raise someone who's been dead for one minute as someone that's been dead for four days? Yes. But does it give a greater visible proof to someone who's been dead four days? And absolutely it does. So Jesus says, I'm doing this miracle for the sake of your faith being deeper and enriched. And so I'm glad that there's going to be this time span in here because I want it to be absolutely clear that I am the resurrection and the life and that I am able with my words to bring back to life. And so they roll back the stone. And Jesus prays a prayer. Now, this is an odd prayer in that Jesus says, I already know you've heard me, God. 
But I'm praying this prayer so that others might know that you know that I know that I know that you know. (laughs) And this I say so that they might believe that you sent me. The issue in this resurrection is that our faith in Christ might be affirmed. And so Jesus now calls forth, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes forth out of the grave with his grave clothes on. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Look at the response in verse 45. And many of the Jews came to Mary when they saw these things. They believed. What has been the intent of Christ of this miracle all the way from the beginning? To elicit belief by the measure of this miracle of this resurrection, this bringing back to life of Lazarus. But look in verse 46. But some of them went away and told the Pharisees, the things that Jesus did. Why would they go tell the Pharisees? They're wanting to have an evangelistic impact upon the Pharisees. They're thinking maybe the Pharisees uh, could be converted by this. We'll go and tell them. I don't think that at all. I think they went and told the Pharisees because they wanted to report on Jesus because even though they had seen the direct miracle of of the resurrection of Lazarus, they still knew it but didn't believe it. They knew it, but they didn't believe it. And so they report it to the Pharisees to give them more evidence for what they want to do to Christ. Wow. There's a verse we skipped I want us to go back and look at and we're done. It's verse 35. Have you read it yet? How many of you have it memorized? Quick minds. Quick minds. I have a really simple question to ask. What was that verse I quoted earlier? that we sorrow not as those who have no hope. Has Jesus already clearly indicated, if you're reading closely, what he's going to do? Yeah. Your brother will rise again, verse 23. I am the resurrection and the life, verse 25. Whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Come down. Lazarus, come forth! And yet here tucked into the middle of this is Jesus wept. It's actually a, not the, the term for sniffles. I have sniffles today. This is not the term for sniffles at all. It's a different term. The term that's used here is not the idea of someone who's weeping because they're crying or is emotional. This is a term, we could almost translate it, he was angered. 
except it's not anger as a sense of, I'm going to punch your lights out kind of anger. It's, it's, it's more the kind of uh, turmoil within that's more associated with grief. Why do these things happen? Think about this from eternal God, Jesus Christ, who can speak the worlds into existence. And his friend Lazarus is in the tomb. Notice the immediate context. Therefore they saw, when Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who came with her weeping. It's almost as though Jesus steps back from the scene and he's watching Mary and he's watching Martha. He's watching all the people that are around him and he's watching the buzz and the turmoil and the, the crush of grief. went to a funeral one time of a pastor that had died. He drowned. And the uh, casket was up toward the front and uh, he was there in the casket and his wife was standing next to it, the casket, and she was greeting people. And uh, she had uh, a smile on her face and she was just greeting people as they lined up and they went by, and the throng went on, and the throng went on. And I got up next to her, and I said to her, have you considered sitting down? She goes, no, I can stand here and hold on. And I think that's a little bit of the scene that Jesus has at this point in time when it says, he wept. You know why funerals make us so uncomfortable? I'll tell you. They're not natural. They're not how life is supposed to be. They're not what God meant life for be. They're, they're not what God ever intended our lives to be. Sin is what has polluted this world. And Christ came to extract that from this world and bring it back to what he intended. And so those of us that know God look at death from a different vantage. We don't say, this is the normal part of where things come to an end, and this is just part of life where we have to realize these things happen. No, it isn't! God doesn't want it this way. Christ died to remove it. And as a Christian, we should never be content with death. We should say, it happens because sin's in the world, but my Savior has overcome it 
And there'll be a day. There will be a day when we no longer have to deal with it. I'm looking forward to that day. And if Christ be risen, be steadfast, immovable. And if Christ be risen, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. If Christ be risen, and he is risen indeed, we can face this turmoil and say, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus has changed it forever. Praise be to God. Father, we come before you. In a world where oftentimes people say, well, death is just a part of life. We know that's not true. Death is not a part of life. Death is never what you intended for our lives. Death is a part of sin. And since we live in a sinful, broken world, we have to deal with the reality of it. But praise be to God, we will live in a place forever and ever where death is no more. And Jesus is king on the throne, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the world for our pardons. Praise be to him. Amen.